This morning, we are continuing our series on godly grieving. That is to say, the type of grieving that leads to genuine repentance and revival toward God. This is not mere regret over your personal losses, which tends only to result in self-pity. How do you typically deal with your sins, repentance or self-pity? With repentance, there is always hope of reconciliation, renewal, growth, even revival. With self-pity, there is no hope. You're stuck in a rut of your own making. The promise of pardon is only a platitude when you are paralyzed by self-pity. Moreover, why is it that you do repent? Is it because of God's character or your embarrassment? Is your motivation to repent about your reputation or God's reputation? These are some of the questions dealt with in today's text from Lamentations chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. Please hear God's word. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city, while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me, because I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword bereaves, in the house it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint." Two prominent themes were highlighted last week. First, lamenting for not walking worthy of your God-given purpose. Second, lamenting for becoming a bad influence on others and walking further away from God and His will than even those who don't know God and have not been given all the privileges He gave you. The second point is where we ended last week. Judah had become comparatively worse morally than the nations they were meant to influence for God's glory. Through their idolatry, they were distinguished as more corrupt than the nations that did not know the Lord. They were so corrupt they made the nations appear righteous. This tragedy highlights how, left to ourselves, 
whether in Eden or in the promised land, we always fall away from God. This reality led the Apostle Paul to lament Israel's condition in his own day. In Romans 9, he talks about having great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart because he saw how the Lord had so privileged Israel with the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, even the Christ. And yet they squandered, rejected, and traded all of it for self-righteous self-interest. We need recreation, daily renewal into the likeness of Christ by God's Spirit. Without Jesus' constant help, we are doomed to being dominated and destroyed by our sins. This is where we find Judah at the end of verse 17, in a worse condition than even the nations who did not know God. At this point, she finally moves toward genuine repentance. In verse 18, instead of simply calling the Lord to look at her defeated and despised circumstances, she admits, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. What does it take for you to admit your sin? and submit to God's righteous discipline of you. Is it pain, sickness, financial loss, or loss of a loved one? What does it take? In this chapter, for Judah, it is the destruction of her nation, the demolition and burning of her temple, the mockery of the nations, and the death and enslavement of her people that finally awakens her to the unjust ways she has treated her own Lord. Is pain and humiliation the best incentive for you to wise up and worship God? If so, it is a testimony to your spiritual blindness. Have we forgotten that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The Lord's righteous judgment was revealed on Judah because her heart was hard and she had been storing up wrath against herself for failing to take full advantage of the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience. How can we be lukewarm and on the fence about worshiping the Lord who was on the cross for us. Let the daily reminder of God's kindness to you in Christ lead you to deeper repentance over your sin and daily affirmation of His goodness and loving kindness as your Father. At the end of verse 18, the lamenter again calls all peoples to learn from her failure. She calls all peoples to hear and see her sufferings. If you remember in verse 12, the lesson there was to take the Lord seriously and not to fall under his judgment. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God who is a consuming fire. Here in verse 18, the lesson Judah calls all peoples to learn is how your failure negatively impacts your children or the next generation. The Exodus generation failed their descendants who had to suffer with them in the wilderness for the next 40 years. The exiled generation had failed their descendants by not securing her borders through a legacy of righteous living and being faithful to the Lord. So the children had to suffer in exile 70 years for the failure of the former generation. Here you can observe how your actions have consequences which in turn have repercussions. We talked about this last week, how your actions can have repercussions for you. But here the emphasis is how your actions have repercussions beyond you and beyond your destiny. You are a trailblazing mover and shaker through either every action and in or inaction, whether you like it or not. One of the most God-dishonoring things is to squander someone else's opportunity for advancement through your self-interest and neglect of pursuing God's kingdom first in everything. You can only work out your salvation as you advance the salvation of others. You can only grow while you pursue the growth of others. It does not work any other way. Suffering in society begins with negligence in the home. In verse 19, Judah is desperately calling on her lovers to come to her aid, but they are nowhere to be found. Her spiritual leaders are of no use, for they have been forced into self-interest and self-preservation when the Babylonians attack the city. Pastors and church leaders need constant prayer to be faithful to their calling. When you go bowling, the object is to knock down ten pins. However, the secret is to hit the one in the front just right. If you do, the other nine are guaranteed to fall. As leaders in the church and as leaders in the home, when trouble strikes, we must turn to the Lord. Our influence and impact is major. Do you turn to his word or do you turn in on yourself seeking personal comfort and personal security? We are all called, but especially leaders in times of crisis, we are called to seek the glory of God through seeking the good of his people. Judah, in verse 20, continues to seek the Lord to look at her state of distress. She is, she is emotionally upside down and heartbroken. She says she 
realizes it because she has been very rebellious. She is surrounded with death. Moses predicted this destruction and terror back in Deuteronomy 32, a terror that would overwhelm. We are taught in this verse to pray to the Lord when our heart is overwhelmed. The psalmist said, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge. Judah's lament has a problem, however. She has an entitlement mentality in the midst of her confession of her rebellion. In verse 21, she is still complaining how her lovers did not comfort her, and her enemies are rejoicing at her fall. Indeed, this is a lesson that we should learn, but what, in fact, did she expect to happen? When people commit adultery, they become enraged when their lovers cheat or turn on them. But it's hypocrisy. The Lord said, with the blameless man, he would show himself blameless, but with the crooked, God makes himself seem twisted. Immediately upon finally admitting her sin, she wants payback. She says to the Lord, Okay, you have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Misery loves company. Judah's discipline has not taught her mercy or compassion for others. Are you like this? Are you able to simply focus on repenting of your sin and how it has hurt your witness and your Lord's reputation and how it has brought painful and even embarrassing consequences? Or must you also fixate on the sins of others and pray for God to deal with them? The Bible says when John was baptizing people, they came to him confessing their sins. It's so easy to confess the sins of other people and to deflect the attention away from yourself. Do your hardships or discipline from God lead you to have mercy and compassion even on your enemies? Or does your suffering lead you to find comfort only in seeing your enemies suffer like you? Judah's mistrust of the Lord is exposed in verse 22, where she has to seemingly train the Lord in how to see her state and process her enemy's sins in order to Convince her God by what standard he is to punish the nations who despised them. But Judah is missing something. Judah used to praise the Lord, saying, He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. How can the Lord punish a nation that does not know his rules in the same way he punishes a nation that has had the benefit of the knowledge of his glory, the knowledge of his rules, and the privilege of his presence? 
Judah deserved a severer rebuke because she knew the Lord and his rules. The nations were a people walking in darkness who had not seen the great light of God's special revelation. To be sure, the Lord was going to punish Babylon for her high-handed pride. But it is unrealistic for Judah to think that an unenlightened pagan nation that sins against her deserves the same reprimand that a divinely enlightened people deserve who have rebelled against their Lord. The nations who were without counsel, understanding, or wisdom sin with a great deal of ignorance. And those sins are just not on the same level with Judah's high-handed, calculated rebellion against the Lord who has loved and redeemed her. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You do not have to worry whether God is going to act justly against those who are your enemies. You do not need to be anxious whether the Lord, the judge of the whole earth, is going to be righteous. You, however, should be deeply concerned that you are genuinely repenting of your sins and seeking to live righteously in response to God's grace in Christ so that you can be useful to your master. If you are more concerned with whether God is going to keep his promise than whether you are going to respond to his promise, you've got things upside down, backwards and inside out. Jesus, just like Judah, is the one in Psalm 22 who declared in the midst of his sorrow to his God, when he seemed distant and out of reach, you are holy. Jesus was forsaken by God, though he never rebelled against God. Jesus never rebelled, and far from leaving future generations vulnerable, Jesus gives every generation hope now and for eternity. Jesus was never deceived or fooled into believing others would support him when he was crucified. He trusted his Father and was not disappointed. When Jesus was besieged by the Jews and Romans, his disciples ran for their lives, but his face was set like flint to lay down his life for you. When Jesus was jeered and mocked, he prayed and sought the best for those who sought to humiliate him. Jesus did not pray for vengeance, but for your transgressions to be separated from you as far as the East is separated from the West. You have to deal with your sins and admit your lovers and how your idols destroy and rob you of the abundant life Jesus promises. No one ever gets saved who does not deal honestly with their sins. You who are saved can never grow and experience real rejoicing until we daily confront our sins and how they rob 
They rob you. They rob others. But most of all, they rob God of the glory he deserves for who he is and what he has done in Christ Jesus for his name and your salvation. How happy are they that mourn. For they, and the sense is they and only they, shall be comforted by God. God is the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Our sin brings us affliction, it brings us distress, and God brings us comfort when we bring our sin to him. And his intention is for us to take that comfort and bring that comfort to others who have sinned, who are afflicted because of sin. Let the Lord turn your lamenting into loud singing, your mourning into dancing through your genuine, transparent confession of sin and faith in the Lord, the Lord who buries all your sins in the depths of the sea and treads all your iniquities underfoot, he will deal justly and deal justly with everyone who seeks to deal unjustly with you. May God bless you and keep you.